Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. kittens are this is sports crunch with decrom i'm your host david cromolo and as i've said many many times there is no off season when it comes to the nfl and that couldn't be more true this year just a week removed from super bowl 56 we are just one week away from the 2022 nfl scouting combine and in that spirit we begin our 2022 dash to the draft series today and what better person is there to help us kick things off than thor nystrom thor is the lead nfl draft analyst for nbc sports edge one of the best places and i'm not being hyperbolic for nfl draft content around he just released his first mock draft a few days ago and you can go to nbcsportsedge.com all week long for combine previews welcome to the program thor how you doing Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm doing really good. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, going through football withdrawal symptoms, as I said, but uh, uh, doing podcasts like these definitely help uh, get rid of them. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but yeah, I, you know, I, I watch film and I do, I'm doing my scouting reports and, and coming up with a, at least starting, you know, formulating these opinions that are going to lead to rankings and eventually like a 500 player big board. So I'm with you and I sort of cure my, my withdrawal symptoms the same way. And plus of course, NCAA 14, you know, you play that game and then, you know, you watch some film and you, you know, I, I, I'll be good till at least till June or so. Uh, yeah, s- s- same here. And uh, music is the other thing for me that helps me deal with football withdrawal symptoms aside from this podcast. So it's good that we both have another non-football outlet to go to uh, after the season. But let's start talking about this uh, 2022 draft class starting at the quarterback position. And when it comes to this group of quarterbacks, it's a rather underwhelming group, to say the least. Unlike last year's crop with uh, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and Zach Wilson, You just cannot say that any one of these quarterbacks has a greater than 50% chance of becoming a top 10 quarterback. Nonetheless, there is one quarterback with mouthwatering upside and Liberty's Malik Willis, who you currently have as your QB one. Why is Malik Willis your top rated quarterback in this class at the moment? Uh, I mean, a part of it goes back to sort of what you were alluding to there, which is that this class doesn't have any sure thing at quarterback, you know, like the, the, the best of the safe, bets I guess is Kenny Pickett but his upside his bonanza upside I think is probably Kirk Cousins and and probably a more realistic one is Andy Dalton in his prime and that's only if he hits the ceiling so like that's what you're buying there if you end up taking Kenny Pickett and then there's there's warts on the other guys as well you know between Carson Strong and his lack of mobility and his knee or Sam Howell the fact that his stats you know, plunge into the toilet after, after four, you know, NFL skill guys left or, you know, you can go on each one of them corral that he runs too much. And, you know, at, at his body type, you know, 190, 195, he's going to get banged up a lot in the NFL doing that. And the fact that if you go past his first read, he really struggles. So there, there's warts on all these different guys. Malik Willis is the only guy where if he hits, he has an unstoppable tool set, you know, I mean, he, he could be one of the most dangerous quarterbacks that we've ever seen in the NFL that's his upside. It's a totally different conversation with Malik Willis. So if, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm running a team and I get one shot to be a general manager um, and I need a quarterback, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting the moon on that one for sure. Yes. And no wonder why buzz has him going 
in the top five at the moment, so to speak, and it could come by a trade-up for all we know. So he's going to be a very intriguing name to watch these next several months. And uh, as of November, most in draft Twitter, yourself included, thought that Oregon pass rusher Kayvon Thibodeau would be the first overall pick. But right now, a lot of NFL decision makers are anonymously expressing doubts about him, forcing chatter that he could fall on draft day. Why do you think the NFL is apparently not as high on Kayvon Thibodeau as we thought they'd be? Um, up and down play the last couple of years, and they're I think they're trying to postulate reasons why for that. Um, and a lot of times with these top prospects that have been, you know, like you mentioned, he's been seen as, as sort of the top guy, at least at his position group, going back multiple years. You know, coming in, he was – I think the number one overall recruit in this class, if not, he was top three. So, you know, he, he's a miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney type edge type freak edge um, that people have been analyzing for a long time now. And when this past season in particular, you have a guy at his same position group, who's coming out, Aiden Hutchinson, who clearly had a better season. There's no doubt about, I mean, by any analytics, um, but beyond that, it's not just the one-off one season thing with Hutchinson, you can project him to be, the more all around defender. Um, he's going to be better against the run. He's going to be better setting the edge. Um, and so then it just becomes, you know, as far as Thibodeau goes, like how much better is he as a pass? How much better can you project him to be as a pass rusher to try to make up that value? I think where that that's where this pessimism is coming in. And the fact that he didn't, you know, shoot up, shoot up like some scouts thought he would. I think maybe you're hearing some explanations for that with them trying to say he, insinuate that he doesn't love the game as much as Aiden Hutchinson or one of these other guys at the top. I'm not sure how much of that is true. Um, I I'll need to see more credible reporting on that from, you know, someone that I either trust or else coming out of someone's mouth that was around cave on there. Otherwise a lot of that stuff, I take it with a grain of salt because the, the NFL, when they give information to football reporters of any kind, myself or, you know, other folks that the thing people got to keep in mind is they, you're not getting pieces of information unless that person thinks it's not going to hurt their team and hopefully it will help their team. And so sometimes you see, um, you know, members of teams that are maybe picking a little bit later on that are very interested in the guy, but they're trashing them to the media, you know, in these anonymous quotes beforehand, because in, in, for instance, with Kayvon Thibodeau, you've already started to see it where he was the presumed number one guy. Now he's fallen maybe more into the five range and, you know, I, I said, I think he could go as late in my mock. I said, I, I think he could, he could go as early as one. I still think he's in play for one, one, but as late as seven, um, that's a very big band of outcomes. And I think, you know, if you're, for instance, if you're a team like the giants that just desperately needs an edge rusher and you're sitting at both five and seven um, and you don't think the team at six is going to take an edge rusher, it might really behoove you to tell your lieutenants, go and tell your media contacts that cave doesn't love the game a lot and and let's try to you know so then Aiden Hutchinson is the the for sure number one a couple of the teams above us need an offensive lineman maybe we get the bonanza of Kayvon falling to us but we don't even have to take him at at five because we're also sitting at seven so if another guy like um one of the guys that I I think that they they like is Aquanu the offensive lineman from NC State and that's their other big need it's edge rusher and interior offensive lineman but that's just one example of a scenario where a team it could actually be in their best interest to say something to the media about a kid that's not true absolutely we are in the middle of lying season as we speak you said it there Thor and uh, edge is arguably the deepest position group in this draft after Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson who you mentioned who are your personal favorite edges in this class and why 
Well, I, I really liked what I saw at Jermaine Johnson um, at the senior ball. That was, you know, that's where he really punched his ticket into the first round of the draft. So he's going there for sure. Uh, we'll end up seeing how high, but um, he's a powerful and um, he's very, very long and he's absolutely relentless. Um, he, he's always been really good against against the run and against the pass. He's improved his pass rushing moves, his counter moves, everything like that. He's been adding um, and it, that clearly showed itself in, in Mobile. He's a guy like um, I like Karloftis. Um, Karloftis is a guy who's going to get sort of poo pooed and slept on because he's not at the very, very high end of that. And I think people are going to forget about him and someone's going to get up, you know, pretty solid value in the, the late teens or something with him. Um, so he's another guy that, that jumps out. Uh, Trayvon Walker from Georgia um, is a very, very good player. Um, may even go in the top half of the first round. So he's another one I, I point out. And then there's a couple of guys that, you know, you mentioned how deep it is. So just speaking to that, um, there's some guys, you know, lower on in the pecking order that I like a lot. Boye Mafe uh, from Minnesota is a kid who if, if there's a guy, you know, in April where people are like, oh, that's the surprise first rounder, it could easily be him. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was him. You know, he has sort of like the athletic profile, of, you know, for instance, like just going to last year, like a quitty pay, you know, like you don't get freakish athleticism like a guy like Mafe has coming in every single year. And when when you do at the edge rusher position, they typically go in the first round. So I I, I think he's got a shot. I like Kingsley and Enix Barre from uh, South Carolina as well. He's a guy who's super long. He he has that that dichotomy of length and strength. Um, and so he he can he can cover a lot of ground very quickly. He can keep uh, separation from the offensive lineman. He knows how to disengage because he has really powerful hands. And when he sheds, um, like I said, he can get where he's going really quickly and, and he comes with a hammer. So he, he's another guy I like at that position. Absolutely. If you need more pass rush help, this is the draft to get it. And another deep position group in this class is cornerback. And for most of last fall, most thought Derek Stingley Jr. of LSU would easily be the first corner off the board. Now, that is far from certain, given the two underwhelming seasons Stingley had since his All-America freshman season in 2019 when LSU won the national championship. In your view, what other corners in this class have a solid case to be the first at the position off the board come April 28th? Well, for me, it would be Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. Um, I, for, I would just take him over Stingley. I think he's a better player than Stingley. And I don't know what you look at to say, oh, Stingley has more potential than him because we haven't seen him be better on the field. You know, Singley certainly has the athletic profile, and I think he's going to test really well. But, you know, and, and so I think, you know, even analytics guys, you know, like tape, tape guys and the scout guys for sure are going to like look at a guy like that and be like, man, the projectables here. You just don't see many projectables like that. Um, and, the you know, the data guys as well, like I said. But on the other hand of it, there is such a small group of folks that were only good as true freshmen on a college football field and then they go into the NFL and their stars. Derek Stingley was awesome as a true freshman. He was terrible as a true sophomore. He was not hurt. He was just bad, flat bad on the football field. He was flat bad. Um, he, he was on the football field when KJ Costello threw for eight gazillion yards, you know, Mississippi State. But it, LSU had one of the worst pass defenses in the nation in, in, in 2020. And then Stingley got hurt right away in 2020. So this was 2021 is supposed to be his make good season of like flipping it back to the freshman year. He barely played. No, I mean, he wasn't great when he was on the field. So, I mean, if, if you're asking me like, hey, do you want a guy, you want to use a top 15 pick on a guy that only had one good year of college football and it wasn't the most recent one. In fact, it was it was going back three years as a true freshman. 
it's just not something that I'm interested in. Yes, and outside of edge and corner, what other position groups in this class stand out to you depth-wise? Uh, I like the receiver depth um, just because I think there's – the past couple of receiver classes are really, were really good as well. Um, but in, in this class, you, as the deeper you go, you can find a niche player – for whatever your sort of needs could be, you know, whether it's a, a slot only kind of a guy or whether it's a, you know, a deep ball guy that hasn't developed the other parts of his game. So he could fall later on. So I think that's a position where you can, if you have like a very specific niche need on in your receiving core, I think you can find uh, the right guy. Um, so th that's definitely a position. Um, and I, I would say, just the defensive front in, in sort of total, you know, we talked, we talked about the edge guys. I, I happen to like the interior defensive line class as well. Um, it's another one where there's a lot of different uh, player types, you know, for every kind of need you might have going from Jordan Davis, who's like a, a John Henderson or a Vince Wilfork or a, you know, refrigerator Perry type, you know, sort of power monster inside. You go from that, to, you have all these three techniques, these athletic freaks, you have some guys that are just the situational pass rushers on that end, or you project it. You also have three down guys. So I, I think that's a position too, where you can go a little bit deeper and you're still going to be able to find, you know, guys, at least that you're comfortable um, uh, devoting developmental time into initially. Yes. And as you mentioned, you were in mobile for the senior bowl, as was I, aside from uh, Jermaine Johnson, who you mentioned and Malik Willis, who we talked about, who helped themselves the most at the senior bowl and who do you think hurt themselves the most down in mobile? Um, the other, the other big winner there, in my opinion, was Christian Watson. I, I think, you know, uh, well, I mean, uh, just speaking to one person's rankings in my industry, although this was, was clearly a mistake. I, I, I just don't think he had watched him, at, you know, by this point, but Todd McShay had Christian Watson rated as the wide receiver 31 on it, not 31 overall, the 31st receiver ranked heading into the, the senior bowl. Now that, that certainly wasn't, you know, I think people that watched Christian Watson would not have had him, you know, ranked in the thirties at, at, at the receiver position, but even so, um, you know, he was seen as more of a middle round type, uh, you know, guy at that point, you know, more, you knew that you were going to get the sort of prototypical green Bay Packer outside receiver um, vertical threat, uh, you know, out of, out of him, you know, he's six, four, 200 plus pounds. And he, he's going to run a high, either in the high four threes or low four fours in Indianapolis. So you knew that you had the downfield stuff. He, and you saw him on the receiving end of all Trey Lance's stuff in college. Um, but you know, the other, some of the other stuff that he displayed as far as intermediate receiving um, ran snappy routes, um, stuff like that was catching the ball in traffic where, in the intermediate area around, around garbage and stuff like that, where you'd seen him do it down the field in contested situations, but it's a different skill set when you're getting pressed at the line. And now you got to create some separation, accelerate into it. Now maybe you sit down in a soft zone spot. You know, there's a linebacker who's real close. He who's going to close on it real quick. And then, and then smack you like, it's a different skill set doing it in the intermediate sector of the field. And ESU's offense, it was great, but they that's not something that they prioritize. So we just hadn't seen it out of them, but he excelled at that. So he and, and he also did the thing, a thing that you see on the tape, but it's 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 a very underrated thing. But like in person, it it jumped out the effort was blocking. Um, both, you know, I mean, every single he on every single rep, he's gonna give you all he has. He's one of those guys. And when there was long runs that were broken to his side of the field, it was invariably because he had shoved his cornerback either to the sideline and just completely sealed him out of the play or else 
uh, he, you know, Watson was 30 yards downfield acting as a lead envoy for, for the running back down there. So he, he showed a ton. And, uh, you know, for me, he went from, you know, a, a mid rounder, maybe late third round, early fourth round to, I think he's in play for the top 50 now. Oh, very, very interesting there, Thor. And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the program, uh, we are just one week away from the next important step in this draft process, the NFL scouting combine. Who do you think has the most to gain from the combine? And who do you think has the most to lose at the combine? Um, oh, man. Well, I mean, you could almost go position by position with it. I, I think at, at, at quarterback, probably the guy who's risking the or has the most to gain and or lose, I, I believe it's Matt Corral. And the only reason for that is his, his pre-draft process has not started yet. We, you know, all the other guys, I think it was, you know, six of the top seven consensus quarterbacks were in Mobile. So those guys, their draft process has already started. And then you go to the guys behind them, like the Dustin Crumbs or the Cole Kellys, um, you know, Keel Glass, some of those different guys, Skylar Thompson, Chase Garbers. Those guys were all at all-star events too. So basically everyone, their pre-draft process has started in some way, except for Matt Corral. So if, if he goes there and, and has a great week, you know, um, interviewing is, is something that's going to be very important for him. Um, and then, you know, just the NFL teams being on the field during the throwing session and seeing how live that arm is. I think Matt Corral is a great arm. Um, you know, I, I put him in the top three or four in this class in terms of arm talent and arm strength downfield, even though he's, he's on the smaller side. Um, so I think he's going to impress in that for sure. It'll be interesting to see how athletic he tests if he does test. Um, and I think he should test athletically because uh, running and the, the dual threat element of his game, it's such an important aspect of what he does. So he, he'd be one, but you could also say Malik Willis, just because Malik Willis at, you know, at the senior bowl, what he did was plan his flag. I think as a first rounder, you know, I, if you came out of mobile thinking that Malik Willis was not going in the first round, you have, you have, you had a bias there. That's about you. That that's not about Malik Willis, but in Indianapolis, what he can do is lock down QB one. If he goes and he is the star of the show in Indianapolis, and I think there's a really good chance that he comes out of there as, as the star, if he does all the athletic testing, so I think he's going to test as one of the freakiest athletes we've ever seen at that position. And the throwing stuff, he's, he's going to drop jaws every time he throws the football because his arm is, it's analogous to Michael Vick's in terms of just being a slingshot, you know, down the field. Um, we don't, in the NFL right now, Josh Allen, you, you, you compare in terms of the arm strength you're already running low on names that that is the kind of bazooka we're talking about with Malik Willis so you know the the throwing session um, I expect him to impress um, you know he's throwing against air so hopefully you know the the accuracy is there as well um, it certainly was even when they weren't in when they were in torrential downpours and team drills in, in mobile so I'd expect him to throw it just fine and like I said the athleticism is going to be there too so I, I think he can plant that flag SQB1. He is Thor Nystrom, NFL draft analyst for NBC Sports Edge. Follow him on Twitter at ThorKu, T-H-O-R-K-U, and check his workout at NBCSportsEdge.com. But before we let you go, Thor, we're going to do a little mock draft, so to speak. Just a top 10 mock draft, kind of like a variation of uh, what you did last week. And uh, we start with the number one overall pick. I'll be making the odd number picks. You'll be making the even numbered picks. And obviously we got the Jacksonville Jaguars at number one. And what they do is probably going to be a big mystery all the way until they're on the clock officially April 28th. And there are four possibilities here at this pick. Uh, Thibodeau and Hutchinson and uh, Evan Neal and Ikea Kwonu 
uh, for offensive tackle. But based on what Doug Peterson said in his introductory press conference as Jaguars head coach about how he prioritized offensive line when he was with the Eagles, uh, I think they're going to lean that way and do all they can to protect the investment they made in Trevor Lawrence at this spot last year. And uh, therefore, uh, I'm choosing between Evadil and Akemakwonu, and uh, it's a far tougher decision than it would have been um, at the beginning of the year. Evan Neal might be more polished, but you could argue Aquonu has uh, even more upside and maybe just as high a floor, especially if he's forced to kick inside to guard. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you do have to pick with some degree of certainty at number one. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Iki Aquonu is the pick here, but because Evan Neal is a bit more proven, so to speak, I'm going to go with Evan Neal as the number one overall pick to the Jaguars in this mock draft. And now the Lions are the clock with you. Yeah, well, last week when I put out my mock, I gave Maiden Hutchinson, but I, I, I figure we might as well shake things up here a little bit. I, I, I know that Detroit likes Malik Willis, and Detroit was the coaching staff for Malik Willis down in Mobile, and their quarterback coach, Mark Brunel, said in Mobile that one of the three quarterbacks on his roster, he knows he could develop him into a Pro Bowl quarterback in the next three years. I'm pretty sure he was referring to Malik Willis. I think the other one, I think, cause I think they had Zappy was the third one, but I, I think the other one was maybe Sam Howell. Um, I would be surprised if he was referring to Sam Howell over Malik Willis with those statements. Um, so I, and like I said, I, I heard independent of all that, that Detroit likes Malik Willis. So, you know, I had postulated my mock draft. Maybe they, they trade down a little bit for him, but if the rest of Malik Willis, draft process goes how it's begun. And like, I, I was just saying, I think he's going to be a star at the combine. Um, he is absolutely in play, um, you know, at number two, um, fuck. I mean, if there's a, if there's a trade, he could, he could end up going number one. So obviously he's not going to get taken by Jacksonville the way the board's constituted now, but if that stock keeps going up, um, the sky's the limit as far as for where he could get taken. So let's, let, let's shake things up a little bit. I'll, I'll take Malik Willis for Detroit at two. Absolutely. And I think Detroit would actually be a very good landing spot for Malik Willis because he wouldn't have to play right away. He could sit a half a year to a full year behind Jared Goff, iron out those mechanics and uh, take control in year two. That's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, the, the administration there and the coaching staff, you know, they, they, I, I think, you know, it's just been one year so far. So they still have the couple more years and they knew that they were blowing it up head and end. That was a part of it, right? The Stafford trade. Um, you know, and then you got the multiple first rounders and you took back Goff. And like you said, it, it's prohibitive to move on from Goff right now. So you know that you have Goff for one more year, which makes it a, sort of a perfect landing spot for Malik. If, you know, if you could say, I, I think Atlanta is the perfect top 10 destination for Malik Willis. Cause you know, it, and also Malik Willis grew up outside of, you know, blocks away from, from the Atlanta Falcons stadium. And, you know, has been a diehard Atlanta Falcons fan all of his life and would love to play there. But, you know, the other team in the top 10 that makes a ton of sense, it's Detroit for the reason that you said, because you have Goff that, that can play for one year. And maybe by the end of the season, you know, the last month, month and a half, you can do what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, his rookie year, where the Ravens had planned to sit him the entire year, like the Chiefs sort of did with Pat Mahomes. But at the end of that season, I forgot if it was an injury to Flack or, or what happened there, but Lamar Jackson was starting by the end of his rookie season and led him into the playoffs. I, I think that's a possibility with Willis as well. But at least initially, you know, for the at least for the first couple months or the, you know, whatever, the first slate of games, you have that, you know, established starter that, that you can, you know, theoretically have uh, Willis, Willis learning behind. 
Yes, definitely. And now the Houston Texans are on the clock with the third overall pick. And this is a roster lacking a talent across the board. Yes, they have Brandon Cooks and they got some good running backs. And Davis Mills looked promising last year, but that's uh, pretty much about it. So you have to go with the best player available. And it, it, it's a hard decision here. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson's still on the board, but also Kyle Hamilton is still on the board. And Jordan Reed of ESPN has Kyle Hamilton as his best player in the draft, period. And there is a legit case for that. Aiden Hutchinson, uh, he could be a very, very good player. But in terms of ceiling, Kyle Hamilton could be an Ed Reed-type safety. And I'm not being hyperbolic. Ed Reed, I could be the best ball hockey free safety of all time. Kyle Hamilton brings a lot of those same traits to the position. And uh, although the Texans may prioritize edge because it's the more valuable position here, it wouldn't shock me if Nick Casario, because Bill Belichick is was known as a BPA guy all the time in New England, if they uh, go with Kyle Hamilton, a player with uh, just as high a floor as Hutchinson and a higher ceiling. So Kyle Hamilton would be my pick right here at number three to just shake things up. Kyle Hamilton to the Texans. Jets are on the clock at four. Okay, so I, I had Kyle Hamilton going to the Jets in, in mind. So I'm going to be having a different pick here as well. I, I think a couple other positions that the Jets could use outside. Secondary is, you know, when you think about the Jets, that's at the top. But I ain't giving him Stingley here. I don't think Stingley deserves to be a top five or ten or hell even fifteen pick. If you know, like we were talking about before, um, and I think at the end of the day he will not be a top five pick. And and then you got Hamilton gone, so then it becomes a Sauce Gardner worth this pick. I, I'm not sure if he will get into the top five at the end of the day, even though I like him. Um, I, I do think he'll be a top ten pick at the end of the day. Um, the other positions that they need is offensive tackle and edge. Um, you know, the, the way that this scenario went, they, the secondary helps not there, but you would have your pick of edge rushers. So I, I think, you know, if the board fell this way, I think the Jets would probably um, look that way. Um, and I'm going to give them Aiden Hutchinson. You know, right now there's no mock draft out there that has Aiden Hutchinson fall into four. And so for the Jets, this could be viewed as, as, as you know, a sort of bonanza type scenario or a guy that you didn't think would be available is available here. Yes, and now the New York Giants with their first of two round one picks at five overall on the clock. Uh, the Giants a couple years ago drafted Andrew Thomas, and Andrew Thomas has turned out to be a very, very good left tackle for them. Nonetheless, they need more offensive line help to protect Daniel Jones, and you got a guy who could be picked as early as number one overall still available in Ikea Kwanu. And uh, Iki Aquanu, uh, I think, is the type of offensive lineman that Brian Dable would absolutely like. Uh, the Bills like those big, beefy tackles. And I think Dable would like the same for the Giants as well. And like I said, Aquanu uh, could have just as high a floor, if not a higher floor, than Evan Neal. Uh, because uh, if you kick him inside the guard, he could be a superstar. So Iki Aquanu, my pick at number five overall to the New York Giants. Carolina Panthers on the clock at six, Thor. Yeah, I gave in my mock draft, I gave him Kenny Pickett here. Um, I I do think Carolina is absolutely going to invest a lot in, in quarterbacks um, in a quarterback this offseason. Um, now I'm starting to think that they're going to uh, target a veteran more because uh, I think Matt Rule is he's in some quicksand now and they have to win next year. So I'm not sure if bringing, you know, for instance, Kenny Pickett here, if that's going to do it for them in year one. Um, and so I, I think they're going to be more aggressive um, maybe than I previously assumed as far as like a veteran quarterback goes. Um, so, I, you know, let's just say that they, they hop off to one of their other needs here. 
edge rusher um, is, is one of their needs as well. Kayvon Thibodeau has fallen here to six. I think that would be really hard for Matt Rule to turn down. He's a, he's, he's a defensive coach first and foremost. His first NFL draft, they didn't take one offensive player. So even though we think, you know, it's, it's you know, quarterback, I, I think there's a, an okay shot at least that they acquire that, uh, you know, veteran quarterback for that position before the draft, which would, if, if they're able to keep this pick, retain this pick while doing so, um, that would make this a really good scenario for them. Because then you further fortify that defense while, you know, potentially having solved your, your, your question mark at quarterback. Yeah, that would be tremendous value here for the Panthers. Kayvon Thibodeau at six and the New York Giants and the pick they got for the Bears in the Justin Fields trade back on the clock at seven. They still need help at edge. And this guy, if he tests as well as he does at the combine, could make his way into the top seven picks. I'm talking about David Ojabo of Michigan. And when it comes to edge rushers, bet on trades. David Ojabo is a guy to bet on. And uh, one scout uh, told uh, Lance Zierlein of NFL.com that he thinks Ojabo could have an even better career than Aiden Hutchinson, for crying out loud. And it's very, very possible. And the Giants, uh, you invested in Aziz Ojolari last year, but he has those knee issues. You need to continue stocking up on edge rushers. So I think this would be a home run pick here if uh, he was the best edge available. David Ojabo to the Giants at seven overall. And the Atlanta Falcons now on the clock at eight. Yeah, so this this is the the where I wanted to give uh, Willis, but he he came off the board earlier. So, you know, I don't think Atlanta would take one of these other guys, quarterbacks there. I absolutely think Willis would be in play, but I don't know why you would take Kenny Pickett if you already got Matt Ryan, because one of the biggest selling points for Pickett is you can play him right away, or at least that's, that's the thought. So, you know, I, I think the Falcons in this scenario, they would probably lean towards another position and we'll just find the quarterback of the future, maybe in the next draft or whatever. Um, they need help, but, you know, on the offensive line at edge rusher, um, those positions have, have been, you know, picked on here early on. They also need a safety, but Kyle Hamilton's off the board. Um, I think that this could be a spot for Traylon Burks. Uh, I'm really high on Traylon Burks. I think he's one of those guys that, um, you, you know, he, you know, we, we were talking about sort of the rawness of, of Willis and some of these other guys as a receiver, Burks still needs work, but you don't see guys that are that well built. He's built like a tank, but he, you know, and you've heard a lot of people compare his game to Debo Samuel, but Debo Samuel is not built like a tank in the same way that Burks is. And so potentially, you know, you're, you're, your bonanza of an upside there it's it's essentially a a, a bigger stronger Debo Samuel and and that uh, kind of offensive weapon is scary it most certainly is and there definitely is a case for Traylon Burks being the first wide receiver off the board and now on to one of my favorite teams the Denver Broncos now on the clock at nine this is a wild card and uh First of all, I don't think Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are going anywhere. I think the Broncos keep this pick at the end of the day. But what I mean by wild card is that they could go a lot of different directions here. And George Payton, as I'm sure you know from his days in Minnesota, Thor, uh, he's a guy that uh, does whatever he can to play things close to the best and conceal things. The Broncos are going to keep us guessing as to what they're going to do with this pick until the very, very, very end. They could take a Kenny Pickett here if they want. But uh, knowing how uh, judicious is George Payton is about evaluating quarterbacks, if he has one qualm about a quarterback, he won't take one this early. And uh, it, as he did a lot of time with the Vikings and Rick Spielman, I could easily see them trading this pick back several spaces to eventually take uh, the player I'm about to give them. And uh, Von Miller is not going to come back to Denver. I am uh, almost positive about that. 
And uh, Bradley Chubb can't stay on the field, uh, unfortunately. So they're going to have to invest in edge. And uh, I personally think this guy is worth the pick at nine. But if they can trade back several spots and still take him, so be it. I'm going to give them George Karloftis of Purdue. George Karloftis, like you said, he's not the most freakish athlete or longest athlete, but he is a guy who will give it all every single play, and he is as dependable as they come when it comes to pressuring the quarterback. He might not be a double-digit sack artist, but he will constantly pressure the quarterback, and as Brandon Staley says, pressures and hurries, those are even more important than sacks. George Karloftis gives you that in spades. George Karloftis, the pick for the Broncos right here at nine for this mock draft, although they could trade back and get him later. For sure, which would bring the Jets back up. And, you know, we picked for them earlier and gave them Aiden Hutchinson. You know, the board had fallen that way. So you've already addressed that. I mentioned before, uh, secondary is, you know, is the other enormous need that they have. Um, the way that this goes, I, they're, they're one of the teams that for sure, I think will have Sauce Gardner above Derek Stingley. I, I do think that there are some teams that may, uh, you know, like uh, – maybe dreaming a, a bit, you know, and, and, and put Stingley above him. But I think the Jets for sure are a team that would be Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner is a much better fit for the defensive system that that Robert Saul and those guys run there. Um, and the way that they do the draft, it's a very um, sort of collaborative process. This has been well documented at this point. Um, the GM and the coach there, they like to have essentially all the cooks in the kitchen, you know, explaining – what sort of ingredients they like for the dishes. So they'll, you know, they'll, they'll have the scouts in there and then they'll have the coaches in there talking about, you know, I could use this kind of a guy or that kind of a guy. Um, and so that's, you know, those guys accumulate all the information and, and that's how they go about it. So they're definitely fitting, or I'm sorry, they're definitely drafting for their scheme, you know, and, and stuff like that. I don't think Stingley is a fit for that. A guy who is a fabulous fit for that is a mod sauce gardener. Um, and like I said, I, I think at the end of the day, he's going in the top 10. So I'll give him sauce gardener. He is Thor Nystrom, ladies and gentlemen, NFL draft analyst for NBC Sports Edge. Follow him on Twitter at ThorKU, T-H-O-R-K-U, Thor. Thank you so much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crush. But we'll be back very soon with a lot more of our 2022 Dash of the Draft series. So stay tuned. You can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram at Sports Crush with DCROM. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. Also, be sure to check out the new and improved SportsCrunch.com. For Thor Nystrom, this is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome, and until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool.